When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the Global Pod World Headquarters, this is the Carolina Insider from Learfield IMG College. We're back. Time for another edition of the Carolina Insider. Jones, just Jones with you here. At the beginning of the show, Adam is unavailable today. He's okay. He'll be back. And, in fact, you'll actually hear from Adam later in the show. We have a little bit of a, a unique show today. I'll chat with you here just at the beginning for a few minutes about Carolina's big win over Georgia Tech, 38-22, this past Saturday. Then we have terrific interview with Chad Holbrook. Chad, former baseball player at Carolina, former baseball coach at Carolina, went on to be the head coach at South Carolina, now is the head coach at the College of Charleston. Chad was the keynote speaker at Coach Williams' fast break against Cancer Breakfast a couple of weeks ago. And uh, after that event, Adam and I had a chance to chat with Chad um, just about his time at Carolina, about his uh, family's struggles with cancer and uh, his baseball career, all kinds of stuff that I think you will have a great time listening to Chad coming up in just a few. And then after that, Adam and I, Go through something that we talked about a couple weeks ago and we bring it to life. The all-villain team for Carolina basketball. Adam and I each pick our all-time Duke villains, all-time non-Duke villains, and the one-time killer list as well um, that we go through uh, coming up in just a few minutes and had a good time with that. So I think you'll enjoy that as well. Um, But first, let's just chat for a second about Carolina and Georgia Tech. Uh, Big win for Carolina, a game that, like we talked about last week, the Tar Heels badly needed and needed to uh, come out there, play well, take care of business, and, and then go into this open week with some positive feelings and, and on schedule, if you will, at 3-3 three and three overall. 
two and one in the ACC and still very much in the mix in the Coastal Division. So an important win for the Tar Heels for sure. Before we talk more about it, let me remind you, don't let your outside chores or projects cause you to miss any of the Tar Heel action this year. Let LS Tractor help you make short work of all of them. From normal yard maintenance to those larger projects, LS Tractor has the machine for you. Visit LSTractor.com to see the difference. LS Tractor, what's it about for you? And while we start talking about this Carolina-Georgia Tech game, I'll start with our champions of the gridiron. Highlight some MVPs from the game brought to you by UNC Healthcare. Dedicated to caring for champions of all kinds to help keep you in the game and at your very best. You can see their lineup at unchealthcare.org slash sports. And, boy, how about Sam Howe? 33 of 51, 376 yards through the air for the Tar Heel freshman QB. Had the early interception but bounced back from that with four touchdowns in the game. So a rookie season high for Sam and touchdowns, rookie season high in yards as well. And, it was a uh, rookie season high for him in attempts and completions. Um, his 376 yards, 14th most in a single game at Carolina, most for a Tar Heel QB since 2016. The 51 attempts, the third most in program history. Kevin Anthony threw it 53 times against LSU in 1985. Nathan Elliott threw it 52 times in that overtime loss at Syracuse last season. Those are the only two players who threw it more in a game than Sam Howe's 51 attempts and the 33 completions tied for fourth all-time at Carolina. And so you say all that and you think Carolina was just throwing the ball around, but not the case at all. Tariels ran 46 times, so they ran 97 plays in the game. Javante Williams ended up rushing for 144 yards. He was, uh, that's a career high for him, and also a touchdown. Michael Carter finished with 68 yards, those two combining for over 200 yards on the ground. The Tar Heels as a team had 211 yards rushing in the contest. So, you know, I thought that was, uh, very clearly, the Tar Heels wanted to play with pace. They wanted to see if they could wear Georgia Tech out. They wanted to see if they could catch him off guard. And, and the amount of plays was a big part of this for the Tar Heels because Carolina had some long drives in, in this game, multiple drives of double-digit plays that resulted in points. Um, and, and they were really good on third down, 11-17 to 17 on third down, converted a big fourth down in there as well. And so they just kept the ball. Excuse me, 11-19 on third down. So they just kept the ball and really made it hard for Georgia Tech, who was having a tough time offensively, save a couple of big plays, um, to get any momentum going because the Tar Heels just held the ball so much, ran so many plays, were picking up a consistent amount of yards. And when you mix in uh, those two champions of the gridiron, Javante Williams and Sam Howell, and, and their production – it was pretty impressive, certainly, from Carolina. Also, a bunch of different receivers got involved. You would probably expect that um, with that many passes thrown. But Newsom caught eight for 81 yards, had a touchdown. Deami Brown, six catches, 77 in a score. Bo Corrales had five catches and a touchdown. Michael Carter had five catches. Toe Groves had three. Javante Williams had three. Garrett Walston, who had a great game starting at tight end, uh, he had two catches in his first career score. Emory Simmons, the rookie, had a catch as well. So, um, just a lot of different 
guys involved in that really impressive offensive performance. Again, 97 plays run for Carolina, and you compare that to uh, Georgia Tech, the Jackets ran just 53 plays. And, and this was a pretty dominant statistical performance for Carolina. 587 yards of offense to just 321 for the Jackets. Possession time, 36-54 for Carolina, 23-06 for Georgia Tech. Mentioned the third downs, heels 11-19. Tech was just 4-11. of 11. Um, So it, it was a consistently uh, – impressive performance by the Tar Heel offense. And having said that, yeah, I thought Carolina's defense was was pretty good too. They gave up a couple of big plays that I know they were frustrated about. A uh, 43-yard run and a 39-yard pass in there mixed in um, that helped set up some scores for Georgia Tech. And when Carolina was able to put in uh, some younger defenders near the end of the game, uh, they didn't have a lot of success. Tech was able to move down the field pretty quickly uh, and get some points on the board. So certainly – Plenty of things uh, that Carolina can still grow from from this game and, and wants to improve on. There were some drop passes in, in the first half, too. Carolina really could have been up, it felt like, even more than the 17 to nothing score at halftime. That could have been something around you know, 24 or 31 to nothing at the break, uh, save for a couple of drop passes. But all in all, um, Carolina needed to go to Georgia Tech and win this game. They're, they're in a better spot right now than the Jackets are. And it was so important for the season, like we talked about, just where it fell um, with this open date, how you felt, I think, during the open date, all predicated on how Carolina did in that game. And so now you build off the positive performance against Clemson with a nice win. You're right in the mix in the Coastal Division. And uh, you got to like uh, – Got to like where you're sitting if you're Carolina right now, halfway through the season um, with some big games still coming up, including a couple uh, big ones at home in the Coastal Division against Duke and Virginia. Uh, but first it is uh, Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. The Hokies, after being left for dead with their uh, bad performance against Duke, bounced back and held on against Miami, a wild finish there. And um, Virginia Tech out of conference this week against Rhode Island. So, should win that game, you would assume, and then would be ready for the Tar Heels after that. So big game coming up in a couple of weeks uh, between Carolina and the Hokies. Had a chance, uh, wanted to let you hear, uh, since Adam isn't here to give you a different perspective, wanted to let you hear from Mac Brown at least. Um, talk to Coach after the game as we normally do in the Continental Tire Coach's Corner. So wanted to let you hear that just to hear uh, his perspective on, on how things went in Atlanta on Saturday, his thoughts following that one. And uh, here's my conversation with Coach. This was immediately following the game in Atlanta this past Saturday. <laughs> Coach Brown just coming out of the locker room to join me inside the Continental Tire Coach's Corner. Coach, happy locker room there after a 38-22 win. What, what was the difference this afternoon and evening for your team? Our team is growing up, Jones. It, it was uh, uh, a good week's practice. Wednesday wasn't as good as we wanted. We challenged them, and they jumped right back up and had a good day Thursday, good day Friday, and, and came and played really hard tonight. We made a lot of mistakes, but this is – First time we've been ahead, <laughs> so we didn't know how to act. I think at halftime, I was a little worried about the second half, but they, they gave up the two drives on defense. But other than that, played great defense and offensively just ran up and down the field. We dropped some balls and didn't take advantage of a couple of situations because of penalties, but they overcame a lot of them and made first downs, and the kicking game was very solid tonight. So um, second time we've won here since, two, uh, since 1997. Uh, that's a great accomplishment for our team. 
Coach, you said your your team, your program growing up a little bit. How important was this step today in that maturation process? We spent so much energy in a close loss to the number one team in the country last week. When we did that early in the year after a win, we didn't come back with as much energy for Wake Forest and Appalachian. And I told them we can be the same team and do that again, uh, or we can learn to play every week and, and play to a standard. And that's who we've got to be. And, and the biggest thing tonight I thought they did is, is they played to a standard. They, they came in here. They didn't panic at any time. Georgia Tech had a couple of surgeries where they did some good things, and, and our guys didn't blink. They came right back and answered. Coach Sam, four touchdowns, passing over 360 yards, a, a freshman season high for him. Javante with a career high, rushing yards over 130 for the game. Just some individuals who, who really stepped up for you today. Yes, I thought those guys both did a really good job. I was disappointed we dropped some balls with really good receivers earlier. Sam would have had more yards, but that goes back to the offensive line. We're getting better in the offensive line. You, you, Michael Carter doesn't get his yards and Javante doesn't get his yards without those guys blocking. And when you can run the ball and run it better than the other team, then your protection's much better. What worked defensively today? They had a couple big plays, but for the most part really bottled them up. Well, they, they were struggling offensively and they changed quarterbacks and, and we felt like we would see both. Um, but, you know, we, we put some young guys in and we, we've got to get more depth. We've just got to continue to do that. And when the young guys went in early, they gave up a huge run, and then they come in late, and they let them score in about, seemed like about 10 seconds. So uh, we, we've got to keep developing depth. Coach, you hit this open date finally to, to rest and recover and take a deep breath for a second. What, what's important here over the next couple days as you do attack this open week? Well, we've been in great shape, so we haven't been tired in any game. We haven't had any cramps, and, and that's a, a real credit to uh, Brian Hess and, and his staff. Um, and, and secondly, we got a lot of young guys that need to get better. We got some older guys that need to get well, and they're banged up, and they'll have a, a, some time where they'll practice, but not as much. We got so many young guys on this team that need to get better. We're going to have to really work them hard, especially those young linebackers and young quarterback, and, and we've got a lot of those guys that need to get better. So again, Tar Heels are now three and three overall, two and one in the ACC. We're going to go from there to our interview with Chad Holbrook. I think you're really going to enjoy this uh, chatter with Chad about a wide variety of topics. Some serious, some a lot of fun, and, and we had a great time speaking with Chad. After that is over, Adam will be back through the magic of the podcast. He'll be with us, and uh, we'll be talking about our all-villain team for Carolina basketball. I think you'll enjoy that. So let's get to our conversation with Chad Holbrook, and then Adam and I will go through the all-villain team after that here on the Carolina Insider. We're going to be honest about today's interview. Usually when we interview a podcast guest, we are at the peak of our emotional games on point from A to Z. That's really me every day, honestly. But, but I got to tell you, with Chad Holbrook today, we just heard him speak at the fast break against Cancer Breakfast, and I am spent. Yeah. I've got nothing left in the tank <laughs> after that speech. So this, this may be a little flat, but Chad, if it is, it's all your fault because you took a lot out of us. Well, it's an emotional day for me and my family and I'm sure Reese and Cooper. And um, This is a community and a, and a university that means the world to us. I and mean, We always talk about it. You walk through the campus of, of, of UNC and you walk up and down Franklin Street. And you live here. You go to school here. 
you're born and raised here. It becomes a fabric of who you are no matter where you go. And uh, and just to feel that when you see so many folks and familiar faces and in the community that you love so much and you hold near and dear, it's, it's an emotional morning. It's emo- if it was emotional for you, it, it was certainly emotional for me. And I struggled getting through the first sentence, so uh, <laughs> at least we got through this thing. <laughs> you recovered, though. You bounced back after you got a little emotional, but you bounced back. Um Chad, we got a lot to talk about. Let's start with, for those who don't know your story, why were you the speaker today at Coach Williams' breakfast? Why was that uh, relevant to what was happening? Well, you know, my son was diagnosed with cancer uh, when he was two years old when I was assistant ba- uh, baseball coach here. And uh, my wife, Jennifer, was uh, Roy Williams' administrative assistant at the same time. And we had a battle on our hands at that time. And, and uh, Roy was instrumental in helping us through it as well as this community. But we did some really, really neat events. And the community wrapped its arms around Reese and the whole Brooks. And, and it was led, uh, you know, by Coach Williams because of the impact he has uh, on folks and the, the following that Carolina basketball has. And so he called, I guess, uh, and needed a speaker. Someone either canceled on him or he needed somebody. And uh, he's not an easy guy to say no to. So uh, uh, I'm currently the baseball coach at the College of Charleston. And it was an easy off day to give to my team back home and to come up here and be part of this event uh, to aids the hospital in which my son was cured, uh, very, very meaningful. It's a special place, obviously. It's a special hospital, special doctors, special nurses, you name it. Um, it's very emotional for us, and uh, we were certainly glad to be a part of it. A lot of times we talk on here about some of the things that Coach Williams does are behind the scenes and people never have any idea of what has occurred. What did he mean to your family during that time in your life and since then? Well, I knew – I knew, you know, again, I'm not a former player as uh, uh, part of the Carolina basketball family. I, I'm just a, a baseball coach, and, and I played baseball here. But I'm not part of the Carolina basketball fraternity, so to speak. But I knew right away, the day that Reese was diagnosed, that he was going to be with our family every step of the way. Um, just in his actions, the things he said. I'll give you a story. Uh, I mean uh, – he wins the first national championship in 2005, and they're celebrating. He's hugging Sean May, uh, you know, and he directs Hoots to get the seat that he sat in, you know, because he knew that would be a big hit at the Reese Holbrook Golf Classic and Sports Memorabilia Auction. It was, you know, the biggest win of his life, you know, and at that point in time, you know, they were talking about Coach like they were talking about Coach Williams, about Coach like Coach Smith is. When's he going to win one? When's he going to? He had a big monkey on his back, and and when he when he won that one and he was celebrating with his team, he was also thinking about a two-year-old kid that was a slither on North Carolina. And uh, the man's incredible. Um, he's been with us every step of the way here and still is. And Reese got hurt in a, uh, a baseball tournament up here just a year or so ago. And the first one that got all the doctors lined up was Coach Williams and, um, and met him here at the Smith Center and was with him every step of the way in, in an injury that took place on the field. He's just – you know that he's with you. And you know if you call him, he's there. You know if you need something, he's going to do everything he can to provide it. And uh, he's just special in that regard. Chad, I think uh, what you went through as a parent is something that no one can understand unless they went through it. Now that you've looked back, and I know there's still checkups and I know everything, but now that you've looked back on it, what – what did you learn from that experience? How did that change you as a as a person? Well, you know, I talked about today, I said, you know, God did have a plan here. Um, was his plan for 
Jen and Chaz, hey, slow down. Appreciate what you have. You know, help others. Uh, there's other kids fighting this disease. Were we, was that part of the plan? Who who, who knows? I mean, it, it was – you know, it, I tell people this when I speak on this, and, and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you could tell me that my son's cancer will not return, and if you can tell me he's going to live a – you know, a long and healthy life and, and enjoy going to school and playing baseball. And you can tell me those things. I wouldn't trade anything. And I don't think Reese would either. It's who he is. It's the fabric of who he is. And, it, yeah, there was there was some days in which anytime you think – when you have a kid with cancer, you think about his funeral. That's just a natural human reaction. Sure. Uh, it's a response. And – yeah, I mean, there were days when you just put your head in your hands and cry like a baby and wonder what's next. But you learn to appreciate the day that you have. Um, you know, when I knew that we were in between blood tests and we were five days apart, I, I love those five days. Like, they, they were treasures because I didn't have to worry for five days about the next test. We always think about what we're going to do next month or next year. When you have a kid with cancer, you learn to enjoy the moment, the day, the minute, the second that you have with them. And uh, in many ways, I think it slowed my life down. You mentioned, I think, in the speech that that UNC is the best hospital in the world. Uh, people who listen to this think about it as an athletic department, some teams, some coaches, players. What what do you think that hospital did for your family, and especially the the people at that hospital who maybe people don't know as well as they know a, a Roy Williams? Well, and there's a lot of heroes, and there's a lot of people that are just as impactful in, in the game of life up there working at that hospital than Coach Williams is. And, I, and I, Dr. Gold treated Reese, and he was part of Reese. But I, his impact in his field, uh, in his profession, has to be every bit as successful as what Coach Williams's impact is in his profession. You know, when they're not on TV. Um, you know, the world doesn't know uh, every win and every victory that these doctors have with these kids. And they certainly don't know all the losses because there's certainly some tough times as well. But, you know, you can have a great building. You can have a great arena. You can have a great hospital. At the end of the day, it's about the people. And uh, the people of Chapel Hill, the people at UNC Limburger and that children's hospital, they are saints. They are angels. I know that's a figure of speech, but until you go through it and until you are with them, until you spend so much time with them and all they do for not only your son, but the next kid, daughter, little girl, little boy. I mean, th honestly, I, I mean, I was a sports nut. I have my heroes. I loved Walter Payton. I loved Earl Campbell. I loved when I was a, as a Carolina fan. I loved Phil Ford growing up. I, I loved James Worthy. Um, but as I got older, my respect I still have for athletes but I have the most utmost respect for those people that are healing kids and treating kids and helping families. And it's much more than just treating Reese and getting him well. It's, hey, how do I deal with mom and dad? How do I deal with the little brother? Because Cooper went through hell too because nobody paid him any attention. And um, those people are gifted. They are true angels and true saints. And uh, this community is blessed to have some terrific people working at a fantastic hospital. Chad, tell us uh, again for those who don't know. Tell us about your history with Carolina because it is a long, uh, it is a long one. Well, I've spent, you know, I was thinking about this today. I spent two thirds of my adult life here. Um, you know, I was a player here for from 1990 to 93. Uh, I coached here from 1993 to the summer of 2008. So, 
heck, that's 18 years. Um, you know, and uh, Chapel Hill, I, I know I don't live here right now, but it's my home. I, I mean, that's where I spent most of my life. Um, you know, you get a sense when you drive into a city what feels like home. I don't care. You know, everybody, everybody has a home. And my house might not be here, but my home is. That's how sure. I feel. And uh, and it's because I went to school here. Uh, so many people in the community have been so good to our family. Um, obviously, Coach Williams and this basketball program has been very important to our family, as has the baseball program. We won so many games. We went to the College World Series three years in a row, and then fourth after the year after I left. But it was such a great group of kids, and uh, from Andrew Miller to Matt Harvey to Dustin Ackley to Kyle Seeger. I mean, the the list of great people and great families go on and on. And uh, I've been awfully lucky and blessed uh, to not only be around great people, but to be at a fantastic school. The Carolina baseball that people know right now is a little different than the Carolina baseball from 1990 to 93. <laughs> we weren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> what What is one or two of your favorite playing for Carolina baseball stories, and you played under Mike Roberts, right. who, who was quite a character himself. <laughs> well, winning the ACC championship, uh, you know, in 1990 was a great moment. We had a really, really good team, a t- top 10 team, 150 games, I believe, and uh, didn't play great in the NCAA tournament, but it was, a, it was a great team. I had some big wins. You know, we beat Clemson in the ACC tournament when I was a freshman, and that was the school that I about went to. Uh, and so that was a that was a because you're from from Shelby, Shelby for people well, yeah. who don't know. And I'm from Shelby, and that's about an hour an hour and ten minutes down the road from Clemson. And my sister went to Clemson, and uh, so I kind of grew up uh, on that campus, so to speak, before I be hit my teenage years. Uh, but the lure of Chapel Hill uh, was just too strong to pass up. And you know, I, man, there are so many great moments. I was talking to Coach Forbes today. I, I think the moment that sticks with me the most is this we worked so hard as a player and as a coach to get this program to the nation's elite and it and there were days in which i wonder if we could get there you know the old bosch hammer stadium wasn't the best facility in the world toward the end of his life um you know we had some issues there and you know and, 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 and attracting some of the best baseball players is becoming harder and um but that moment that chad flax home run went over the fence in tuscaloosa alabama that's a day that I, to this day, I've been a part of a team that's won two national championships, and I got two national championship baseball rings at another school. But that moment to me is the most important moment in my athletic or professional coaching career because so much work and effort went to getting our program to that point and to finally realize that the Tar Heels are going to the College World Series is a moment I'll never forget. And, um, yeah, we missed out on winning the national championship that year, but I don't know if it's any less meaningful to me um, than what happened that night in Tuscaloosa. What do you remember about that moment? I mean, obviously the night itself, but do you remember what oh, you were gosh. doing, where you were, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I was jumping in Forbes' arms. I remember <laughs> that when it happened. There's still pictures of it that I have. Uh, you know, it was just such a game that was a roller coaster of emotions. You know, we just lost the lead, I believe. Uh, oh, man. I don't remember exactly what inning it was, but I know the Avilia, Alex Avilia, who's enjoyed a big league career, hit a home run off of Andrew Kerrigan. And, uh, Cheap home run, by the way. Opposite a field up, home run down up, the up. left field line, and my heart was broke because we had worked so hard. We thought, oh, man. You know, we did have a game to play with, but, you know, it's just uh, to fight back, to come back and see. I mean, again, the, the moment that I remember is – 
Scott Forbes grabbing me when that ball is in the air, almost like it's getting ready to happen. You know, I, it's a moment that stood still in time. It just stood still for me. It's still, it's still uh, an incredible moment. And, and Chad Flat was a great kid. Uh, a lot of great kids on that team. Just love being around them every single day. But that moment, because I'd given so much time and effort into that program to finally realize that hey, we can be among the nation's elite. Um, as a moment I'll never forget, and to this day is the most meaningful, I think, athletic moment for me. We've talked on here some about Rosenblatt Stadium and going to Omaha in that time frame, the the 06, 07. It just seemed like things were different, and we think probably better because <laughs> right. we could eat a Kong burger in the parking lot, and then we could go get a Zesto shake, and then we could climb up those stairs to the top of the press box and watch oh, the Tar What was it about going to Omaha those first – couple of times with that group that was so much fun well i'd never been uh and i was hell I, we tried to get there as a player but we weren't good <laughs> enough and uh i always coach roberts in his funny quirky way would always say there's nothing like going to omaha in uniform well i never had felt that and uh and i had coaches tell me all the time joke with me because we were trying like cake to get there and we'd been to a couple super regionals but uh, you know, I guess he'd come up short in, uh, a couple years prior, and a couple coaches would say, hey, you ever smelled the popcorn in Omaha? It smells pretty dang good. I'm like, no, I hadn't smelled it, but I'm looking forward to that day, you know, and it's uh, those kids, I mean, those kids felt the same way, because we had lost, we lost, the year before was not a great year. Um, you know, we had Andrew Miller, we had Daniel Bard, we had Robert Woodard, we had Chad Flack, we had some Josh Horton, we had just terrific players all over the field. Something was missing, you know, the same kids, but the chemistry wasn't quite right. And uh, and it was a turbulent year from a roller coaster standpoint. And you know, a couple years after that, we settled down. Kids start liking each other a little bit more than they like themselves. They started putting the program in front of themselves. They started realizing that you know it wasn't all about them. And uh, and they and they wanted to get their school to that point. And um, Again, I mean, this school has won a lot of national championships. Um, and, heck, I've cheered like heck for them for a lot of them in different sports. But selfishly, that moment for me with that group of kids, um, that's my national championship, and it always will be. Um, when Carolina was doing those things in that time period was also when the stuff with Reese happened and you were dealing with that personally how how did that change you professionally how did you try to balance those two things something that you obviously cared about professionally but was then put in a different light yeah the scoreboard became not important is is important to me um we had obviously great people here to uh, to help us through it and adam and you and coach williams eric montross i mean so many people were there to assist us but again it just became like Hey, I'm gonna enjoy the heck out of these three hours. Let's try to win the freaking game. But the most important thing when that game over is, uh, how's he doing? And uh, when's his next appointment? I mean, uh, when do we? What time do we give him his medication? Um, people don't realize how many. Uh, I mean, it was eight or nine pills a day. Um, some days it was radiation. Some days it was blood transfusion. Some days it was spinal taps. I mean, it was con- constant for three and a half years. The games became not as important. But the accomplishments within the game, you learn to process them a little bit and say, God dang, what a what a special player this kid is. And uh, it just didn't last as long. You know, sometimes as a coach, when you drive home, you're going to take the game home with you a little bit. Or it's hard to sleep when you lose. Sure. You know, or why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? 
when you have a kid with cancer, you don't do that. You get home and you hug the kid who's waiting on you, and and uh, you don't, you don't. It's not important. Hey, we'll, we'll, we're about tomorrow, tomorrow, you know. And it's, uh, and I think that's the biggest thing I learned as a, as a human being is, you know, do the best you can as a coach. Let's win some games. Let's do it the right way. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of kids out there. There's a lot of families out there. There's a lot of people out there fighting a lot bigger battles than the competition within the white lines. And uh, don't ever lose sight of that. And that's kind of what this battle kind of taught me. Do you think you had such a, a such success recruiting during that period because you could tell those guys that Jones would say their name on the radio <laughs> if they came? Like, look, Dustin Ackley, if you come here, Jones is going to talk about that's you right. on the radio. That's right. Maybe. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean – and and was every game on the radio? I mean, did we miss a few. Most of yeah. We would once basketball ended, we would start back then. Now we cover a lot more. That was one of the things of of trying to make baseball important in Chapel Hill. That was, I mean, that was what we wanted to do. I mean, obviously, what Coach Dorrance did has done, and 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 field hockey, and Jenny's done with women's lacrosse, and so many sports here have won national championships. We just didn't feel like we were quite there yet. And um, that was the selling point for us recruits is, hey, help us get there. Not, you know, go to LSU. They've won their five or six. Help uh, be the reason we win our first or be the reason we go to Omaha. For, and that group of guys, you know, that went four years in a row, you know, Garrett Gores and the, the core group of that team, that's a special group and because they bought into what we were trying to do from a recruiting standpoint. They didn't want to be another spoke in the wheel or they didn't want to be, you know, part of a – they wanted to be the reason why this program took the next step. That was the whole recruiting pitch. And luckily we had a great product to sell in Chapel Hill and a great university to sell. And even though we didn't have a great stadium at that time, um, they felt like they could get it done. And lo and behold, they did. We talked about uh, Brian Moran recently, oh, man. Uh, who had been in the minor leagues for 10 years and was called up uh, this fall. And a lot of those players you're mentioning were very highly talented recruits during that time frame. But, but you told a great story about Brian's recruitment, which was not quite the same as some <laughs> of those other guys. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the, all those guys, I remember their recruiting stories. I remember when Robert Woodard committed. I remember when Daniel Bard committed. I remember Andrew Miller committed. I, I remember Harvey. I remember them all. I mean – Moran's was just so unique because Brian was the nephew of B.J. Serhoff, and B.J. obviously is an all-time great here, and he had nowhere to go, and it was June after he had graduated from high school. And uh, B.J. called me and said, hey, I have a nephew, and um, he's pretty <laughs> good. I don't know how good. And um, you take a look at him. He's going to go to this junior college. And he named the junior college. I hadn't heard of the junior college. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I was like, this might be a tall one. This might be a stretch here, BJ. And uh, how's his grades? Again, <laughs> 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 Get him in as a student. That <laughs> might be a stretch, coach. <laughs> so uh, we got him. We got him here. We, you know, we, it was uh, – yeah, I don't know if Coach Fox was on board on that one, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, you know, I remember saying, hey, we we're going to take this lefty. We were one, The one thing Brian Moran had going for him for the Tar Heels is we didn't have a, lot, a number of left-handed pitchers in that recruiting class. And he could bring us something – even if it takes place in a scrimmage. <laughs> so I tricked myself in saying, it's a valuable guy. He can at least help us in a scrimmage. You know, our hitters need to see some lefties. 
man, kid is all American. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a great, what a great kid he is. I mean, and has shown in his perseverance and his dedication to the game and staying 10 years in the minor leagues. But, oh, man, Brian Moran's a beauty. And, uh, again, in his first outing, I'll never forget this, And his first outing on the field, was one of the worst pitching performances I've ever seen on that field. I think he gave up three or four home runs in an inning. And I walked back in the locker room, that old musky locker room in Boshammer, after the scrimmage over, and Moran has got his hands in his head sobbing, like, y'all going to cut me. I was like, no, nah, you're at least good for the fall. <laughs> yeah, take a breath. Take a deep breath, man. We can We've got a scrimmage thing. coming up. We need a lefty. Hey, yeah. Let me tell you, this is a great story. You know, we all have a fall World Series, you know, at the end. And the players draft each other. And uh, we always have a Mr. Irrelevant like the NFL does. Right. You know, and we always make fun of those Mr. Irrelevants. Well, two Mr. Irrelevants have gone on to play in the major leagues. Rob Wooten. Brian Moran. They were the last pick in the Fall World Series for their respective teams and, and end up being some of the best players. So you never know in this game. That's the beauty of it. Chad, you made the decision to go to, to South Carolina 08, is that right? 09? Summer of 08. 08. Have to imagine that was a difficult decision. You've mentioned the, your history with, with Carolina. Was it just time for something new for you after being here for a while? Well, I just wanted to grow as a coach. Um, you know, and there was some there were some things with Reese as well. Uh you know, Reese had been away from his grandparents for a long period of time. Jen's hometown was Columbia. And I'm, I, you know, at that time, I just felt like it was the unselfish thing to do um, because there was family in, in Columbia that had not been sp- been able to spend time with Reese. And at that time, to be honest with you, we don't know what's the, what tomorrow is going to bring. Sure. Um you know, I will tell you a funny st- a story about the lure of Chapel Hill that that happened that day because I I remember that day like uh, no other. I, I walked in. You know, obviously Jen was in Coach Williams's office, and when I had made the decision to do that, you know, Jen's from Columbia. Uh, her her she always told me, "Hey, is there any way we can go home one time? Can we go home? Whether it's not as a coach, just." I'd like to live in Columbia, you know, around my parents and grandparents, and I want them to spend time with my kids. I thought, we'll pick the right time, you know. And, uh, well, this opportunity came, and I will never forget. I thought I was going to be the best husband in the world. And I walked into Coach Williams' office, <laughs> and I said, Jen, uh, I'm, we're going to go to South Carolina. I'm going to take you home. And she felt her knees crying, and it wasn't a happy cry. <laughs> it was not a happy cry. And uh, I went from thinking I was going to be the best husband in the world for that day, at least, you know, <laughs> she'd give her a kiss. On, I may yep. get a kiss on the cheek that day. It was – she was not a happy camper. Felt it, real it, good about your decision at that moment. It just goes to show <laughs> – it just goes to show – yeah, yeah, great. Now I, now I screwed up. You know? <laughs> Holy moly. And, uh, but, but, it, but it just goes to show the strength and the pull of what we call Chapel Hill and, and, and this athletic department and these coaches and these people. I mean, if you would have told me that Roy Williams would make it a sad day for Jennifer Holbrook to move to her hometown, knowing what I know, I'd tell you you're crazy. But, but he did. I think it was your – so you became head coach eventually at South Carolina. I think it was your first year that you guys come to Chapel Hill for the Super Regional. Was it first year or second year? First year, yeah. What in the world was that experience like? Well, I mean, it was uh, 
you know, when we we actually played some really good baseball that weekend. So, you know, sometimes coaches get caught up in the the wins and the losses. Or I was kind of focused on how we played. And once the game started, you know, you don't everything kind of right. slows down. But driving up here to Chapel Hill, staying in a hotel about a half a mile away from where I lived, where I raised my kids, it didn't feel good. I mean, it it, it didn't it. Hey, I, I love my time at South Carolina, and I love those kids at South Carolina just like I loved them here at North Carolina. But that was very awkward for me um, because this place is special, and it always will be. It doesn't matter. I mean, God forbid I ever coach at Duke, but if I coached at Duke, <laughs> it would feel the same way. Yeah, I'm a Tar Heel, you know. And and I'm a, uh, you don't lose it. You don't lose it as much as I was trying to lose it. I, it's who I am, and, and I. And and when they won, I, I was crushed for my team. You know, I was because you know we'd been to Omaha at that point in time three years in a row, and we'd been in three national championships in a row, having won two. So this was the first year, my first year, that we fell short, even though we had a special season. But I knew we lost to a special team, and we played our tail off against the number one team in the country that weekend. You know, we just it didn't go our way. But when I got on the bus and I, we showered over at Keenan. Tyson Lusk handed me a Diet Coke before I got on the bus because he knows how much I love Diet Cokes, and God bless Tyson. <laughs> um, he wants to make everybody feel good. And uh, But I got on the bus, and I said, you know, I had, I had a sense of pride for the team that was on the bus with me, but I had a really good feeling about the team that had beaten us and that was going to the College World Series. I was happy for them. And I don't think any other school could have made me feel that way. Sure. You know, and uh, it's um, – you know, it was it was weird for sure. It was weird having a press conference after we'd lost and see Larry Gallo sitting there in front of me listening to what I'd say or uh, or y'all asking me questions about this or that. You know, it, it's – man, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a special place. I, I mean, I was so lucky not only play here, coach here, but be involved in the plans of that stadium. Um, it, this baseball program and this university is – Ultimately, one day, I mean, I'll, I'll say, and I know this is kind of gets lost, and I'm sorry to ramble on, but this this kind of who I am, and um, you know, and I always wonder every even when I'm away and the game gets over at College of Charleston or the game gets over at South Carolina, I always click on the phone and want to see how the Tar Heels did. A big part of that being part of you, people may not know, you're a giant Carolina basketball fan. <laughs> <laughs> Jess is processing that statement. What some, are uh, some some good moments? <laughs> yeah. What are some of your favorite Carolina basketball memories, either as a fan or maybe something you got to see, maybe a little different side of that that you might not have otherwise? Man, there's been many, and and uh, you know, coach. I mean. The Illinois game and Coach Williams winning his first here is something that will always be true to me because honestly I was enjoying it so. But I when I said in that speech today that I was spent, that I was done, I was done. I, I was exhausted. Not and again, not because of me pulling so hard for the Tar Heels, but what I was going through as a dad and and what we were going through as a family. But that day will will, will always be special. Um, but, you know, great Tar Heel basketball moments that live with me. You know, in 1993, my senior year, this is a funny story. We beat Michigan. Oh, man, I'm the happiest. I mean, you know, Donald Williams was hot. and we, I mean, it was the things that were happening, and Eric was 
being Eric and George. <laughs> Eric was George, big. <laughs> George Lynch was, you know, taking people by the shirt. And I was just, oh, man, I was just so moved. We won, sprinting to Franklin Street. Franklin Street's going crazy. It's cold and misty and rainy. And I, I got a clock. I do one of my week. I have a claustrophobic issue. Like this room that we're in. <laughs> the finest. Close. The finest that we could offer you, yeah. Chad. <laughs> no, we're getting close. But I, but Franklin Street, shoulder to shoulder. And I, all of a sudden, I see a tree. Climb it. It's a way to get free of everybody. No more claustrophobia. Well, I thought everybody else under me thought it was a good idea. <laughs> look at so, that guy. Let's look, do that too. So I kept going up and up and up. And lo and behold, the tree's still there. And I drive my kids down Franklin Street. See that limb up there, guys? I spent the night there in 1993. I spent the night. And you know what? We had a game the next day. <laughs> And I, right there, I, but there's, you know, there's, four for four in that game. <laughs> it was a struggle. I'm not going to tell you the result of that game, and I hope no one will research it. But it was a bad one. Um, but that, that was a, you know, it, it, yeah, I'm a huge fan, and I, I can't, you know, I cried like a baby when that kid shot from Villanova. Went, me and Cooper just put our heads in our hands in Columbia, South Carolina, and we're heartbroken. But you know, a year later, it was euphoric, and um, you know, I, no matter where I'm at. Uh, the Carolina basketball in me will never leave. I'm uh, I'm yelling at the refs. I'm screaming at the TV. I'm saying bad. I'm saying some of the same lingo that I've been so lucky enough to hear from Coach Williams from time to time. When I was a student here, I got to see Coach Smith's team's practice. That was really cool. You know, and you had to sit in one seat and you couldn't move. I pee a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you already heard, already heard about the Diet Coke. So yeah, we, yeah, we yeah, you got that. Yeah, well, I, you know, nature called. And uh, I quickly learned you can't sit back down. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned how if I was going to go watch practice there, you keep your feet, you stay shot, you be quiet, and you watch and you learn. Embargo and, uh, on the Diet Cokes for a couple uh, hours before yes, practice. There's yeah. no, yep. And, uh, I, and that was my learning the Carolina way was uh, – that was an interesting part as a student. I'll tell you another funny story. If I'm not getting too long-winded, but when Jen was lucky enough to be hired by Coach Williams, and that was part of God's plan too because I think the good Lord need, knows we were going to need Coach Williams even before Reese was diagnosed. But I was all pumped. As a Carolina basketball fan, I get to go on a trip, and I'm pumped. And you know Carolina basketball in time. You know, it's, <laughs> if oh, we're yeah. departing at 10.02, it's 10.02. It's not 10.02. 10.02. Well, I was pumped. And uh, Jen said, yay, drive the car around to the tunnel, right where the garage door's down, take our luggage, put it on the bus, be on the bus at 10.02, and we're rolling to the airport. And I was pumped. We were flying to California somewhere. We were, we were going somewhere with the team. I did it all. I was pumped. I was excited. <laughs> we had all the luggage in there. It was 10.02. I was so pumped. I was on time. I was with the Tar Heels. I was going on my first basketball road trip. The garage door filed open. My car sitting right in front of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Would not let the bus leave. And I'm like, oh, crap. You should be like, who is that well, jerk? Coach, whose, whose car is that? I was like. <laughs> <laughs> and it was still running. <laughs> so that's how excited I was about that trip. And uh, hey, but you know what? Coach liked me enough to ask me back, so I got to, I got to go on a couple trips. That was cool. I'm and, sure you never heard about that again. Oh, I heard it yesterday, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Eric Hoots was quickly quick to remind me. Hey, you remember that? I'm like, oh god. <laughs> Chad, before we let you go, tell us a little bit about 
College Charleston. Tell us about your program now and and some of the challenges you guys are facing and and what you have in front of well, you. Well, we 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 have a great we have a great school. We have a it's a it's a smaller private school feel in a public school setting kind of thing or a public school setting with a private school feel. I guess is probably the way the ten thousand students. It's uh, Charleston's the number one city in the world. You know, as far as travel and leisure and some you know some vacation spots you know kind of think highly of the place uh it's a beautiful spot there's a lot of great restaurants there and uh and it's a great school there's a tight-knit community there as well the athletic department's got some great coaches it's uh you know you don't you don't feel like you're living and dying with every single game you, you know i get to experience the we get into coaching because we want to make an impact on young people's lives or we want to be around people we want to be in the same dugout trying to achieve a common goal that's a neat thing you know sure. when your group of human beings are trying to achieve something together and i feel like you know i get to enjoy that every single day there and um you know and it's cool and a lot of kids want to go to charleston you know we, we have our own little recruiting niche that we've kind of jumped on and i think we're going to have some really really good players there and really good teams going forward and you know, college charleston's been lucky enough for a time or two to be in the uh super regional and um you know but if stony brook and Kent State, and yeah, Coastal Carolina can make it the college, you know, college World Series. Why can't College of Charleston? And um, it's a cool place. We need some things. We got some hurdles to overcome, uh, but we've recruited well the last two years, and I think we'll put a good product on the field. I have no doubt about that. And uh, you know, that's pretty cool. And then one of the good things about the College of Charleston, getting back to Coach Williams again, is I talked into him to bring his team down, and I think we'll have a. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I think I think I think the Tar Heels will play in Charleston, and Charleston will play up here in the Smith Center in basketball in the future, hopefully. And uh, it looks like that might happen. And um, so it's it's uh it's it's cool. I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's a really it's it's fun. It's it it is providing me what I kind of got lost of feeling. I I wondered how much longer I wanted to coach when I, my last three or four years at South Carolina because one I wanted to see my kids grow up. And I lost the feel and the love of, you know, because there was so many, I was getting pulled in so many different directions. And I think the College of Charleston has provided me, this is why you're a coach. This is why you got into the profession. Now go enjoy it and have fun. And that's what I get to do there. We appreciate Chad's time. Good stuff from him. A lot of fun chatting with him and uh, wish him the best this upcoming season at College of Charleston, of course. And that interview brought to you by the Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina and their trusted choice. Did you know that texting while driving takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds? And at highway speeds, that's like driving the length of an entire football field with your eyes closed. Trusted choice, Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina want you to stay safe behind the wheel. No need to text and drive. Go to trustedchoice.com slash goheels to find an independent insurance agent near you to learn more. Now, we're about to bend your mind a little bit. You remember from earlier in the show, no Adam. Adam wasn't here. Adam unavailable. But now, oh, Adam's here. Adam, hello. I didn't like what you said about me earlier, <laughs> so I thought I needed to get here so that I could represent myself. So instead of an Adams list today, brought to you by our friends at Top of the Hill, don't forget, Mac Brown Live, Top of the Hill, Monday nights during the football season, although there was no Mac Brown Live last night with this being the uh, open date week, but normally there is one Monday nights, and Coach Williams' show starting soon as well will be Monday nights at Top of the Hill. 
7 to 8, Monday nights, Mac Brown Live, Roy Williams Live, Friends Top of the Hill. So instead of Adam's list, Adam, we had talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and now it's coming to life. The Carolina basketball all-villain team. We have elected to break this up into three separate categories. We've got the Duke villains. We've got the non-Duke villains. And then we have the one-time villains. So non-Duke villains are more guys, uh, well, the way I approached it anyway, Adam, the one-time villain was the guy who had, like, the huge game at just the wrong time for the Tar Heels. The non-Duke villains are more consistent villains against Carolina or somebody who, at least again, how I approached it, who maybe did something on the court that wasn't had to do with actual points and rebounds that negatively affected the Tar Heels. Yeah, I, I did it pretty similarly. I think the, the Duke villains is self-explanatory. For non-Duke villains, for me to put them on the team, there had to be something about this person that when I thought of them, I thought, eh, I don't like that guy. Yeah. But the, the one-time killer guys, to me, they had a great game. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily hate the player. Right. You no, know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Uh, for, the, for the villains, I hate the game and the player. Yeah. But the one-time guys, they, they just they had a great game. I can't begrudge them the fact that they had great skill and talent on that day. Yep. But still, when their name comes up, I still think, ah, that guy was great on that day. All right, which one first? I think, I think we got to do the Duke villains first because that's the easiest one, okay, in, now, in my opinion. I did five for each team. Is Me that too. what you did? Well, I cheated a little. Oh, well. I've come to expect that on, on these exercises, Adam. <laughs> okay, uh, how do we want to do this? Do you want to go through all five and then I go through my five, or do we want to alternate? I think we, we can go five and five, Okay, I'll let you. Please, sir, you go first. Okay, again, to me, this was the easiest team by far, and I think you've got uh, four that I, I think these are probably unanimous selections. I okay. don't Maybe not. Christian Leitner, I mm. think you've got to have him. Grayson Allen, mm. I think you've got to have him. Gerald Henderson, oh, I think you got to have him, and JJ Redick, mm. I think you got to have him. Now this last one, this was a tough one for me, and I'm going to tell you that I came down to Danny Ferry oh. or Bobby Hurley. Mm -hmm. I went Danny Ferry because I felt like he predated some of these others, and I felt like we needed to represent that Duke villainry is did not just start with Christian Leitner in 1991. Right. That, that even before Christian Leitner, there were Duke villains. And the one who sticks out in my mind is Danny Ferry. Now, again, I should say, this is only – I only picked from my time frame. Sure. So I know there's, there's an Art Heyman argument to be made. Yep. I just don't – I don't have the passion about him that I do about Danny Ferry. And my very favorite uh, Danny Ferry story, 1989 ACC tournament in Atlanta in the Omni. Uh, I was at that game with my parents, and there was a strong Carolina student contingent there because I think it was spring break in Chapel Hill, okay. which at that time I didn't even know what that was. But I'm sure those kids were down there having fun, watching a little college hoops. Living it up. Yeah. And one of the kids had a sign. I remember this sign vividly even oof, 30 years later. And it said, and my dad and I reference this all the time, Dinky Danny, don't be blue. Tinkerbell's a fairy too. 
I don't know why that darn sign was funny. <laughs> and it just summed up how I felt about Danny Ferry. So maybe that sign maker is a pod listener. As we know, the Blues Brothers, sometimes they listen to the pod. Maybe that sign maker is a pod listener. And if so, I salute you, sir or madam. Okay. I have Christian Leitner because okay. I think Christian Leitner is what embodies Duke on a national level, right? Yes. I had Grayson Allen. Yep. Because it's Grayson Allen. I think he's this generation's Christian Leitner. Although not nearly as good a player. I oh, mean, yeah. For well, sure. I mean, something about Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner was good. He's a baller. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you may not like him. But he could play. That was kind of what made him annoying. Yeah, I mean, and, and Grayson Allen isn't a bad player, and he's still, I think he's in the NBA on, on a bench somewhere. Um, but he wasn't as good as Christian Leitner. J.J. Redick, yes. And again, I think he was the perfect embodiment of that time period. That was That was the heart of Duke firing up threes all the time, time period, right? And I think he... And he was good and still in the NBA. Excellent player, could really shoot, and very dislikable, though, with his face <laughs> and his attitude on the court, right? Well, I think if I had to pick one of the Leitner, Allen, Reddick triumvirate that I sneakily thought I might possibly like if I got to know them, I think it would be J.J. Reddick. Yeah, and I think I've told this before. I heard an interview with J.J. Reddick, I don't know, a year or so ago, and he's not unlikable and I think he's very aware now I don't know if he was then but I think he is now of what he was doing to add fuel to the fire at the time yep um so you got to respect somebody growing up a little bit Adam yeah I have to admit I did not have Gerald Henderson on my list but when you said it I'm changing my mind and putting him on the list he's got to be on there even though our boy Wayne Ellington tells us Gerald Henderson is not a bad guy He's still going to be involved in an all-time moment of bad guyness in Carolina Duke, and there's just no avoiding that. He was a bad guy on that day. Yes. So, Adam, that leaves – I have two guys for the last spot. And, again, I agree with you 100%. I think older Tario fans would probably say, oh, you've got to have Art Heyman on this list who came down to Carolina and Duke and went to Duke and – you know, there's the big fight that he was. He and Larry Brown were involved in. And so I, I think – and he was a really good player. Um, so certainly worthy of this list, but maybe not in our reference of time. So the two guys I have for the final spot are Austin Rivers. Yep. It's hard – I mean, Austin Rivers didn't really make that big of an impact for Duke other than that one play. And so, but I don't. I don't think he goes on the one-time killer list because he's Duke, so he's got to be on this list. So, but I think he could be n- not just for that play, because in the grand scheme of things, it was just a regular season game. But it's just what it represents and how many times it's replayed, and that's part of it. And then the other one I have on there is Shane Battier, mm. and I think it's because Shane Battier, like Leitner, kind of encompasses what people don't like about Duke sometimes. He's super smart. He doesn't mind telling you how super smart he is, which isn't a bad thing, the being super smart, obviously. I mean, it's a burden that Adam and I live with every day. 
Um, and he was really good. And he, and he was there forever. And I, I so, but I, I came down to it and I've decided that it's Rivers, but Battier is a strong uh, others considered for me. I think Battier in some ways is Duke's Tyler Hansbro. Mm. Because I think there's really – a I would begrudging ha- respect from his peers. Yeah, I, I would have a hard time finding anything objectionable about Shane Battier other than he was so good at everything <laughs> that everyone had to tell me all the time how yeah. good he was at everything, yeah. and it lasted forever. Isn't it so funny how so much of the dis- some of the dislike for people is other people telling you about them all the time? Right. Like Zion Williamson's a uh, great yeah. example. Like, I don't think people dislike Zion Williams. They were just tired of hearing about it. Yeah. At some point, you get it. Right. But I do think that plays a big part in it. For me, Austin Rivers is the reverse J.J. Redick. I think if I got the chance to hang out with him, I would not like him. Mm. And I think the way he acted and some of the things he said since then, remember, he's a how-can-you-justify-that recipient. Oh, yeah. Uh, just make me think – I just – I don't think we'd be bros, and I'm sure he's probably upset about that, but, Austin, I don't think it's going to happen. So you and I both have Leitner, Allen, Reddick, yep. Henderson, and then you have Ferry, I have Rivers. Yeah. With Shane Battier, at least for me, as uh, others mentioned. But I, we, your point is a good one about Shane Battier. And I think we're probably going to – Mike gonna, Dunleavy. Well, Greg Paulus, Wojo, I John Shire. Got no beef with Paulus. Wojo, yes. Well, I think – the, the all-time Wojo for me was the game against Kentucky when Billy Packer started yelling, yeah, stop it, you're hurting him, you're hurting him, when <laughs> the, he got tangled up. Do you remember that? Yeah. When he got right. tangled up with I the Kentucky about guy. I think it was 97. Yeah. Well, you're hurting him. Suspect hands Boston, and look at Wojo. He's oh, oh, he's tangled here. What is he doing here? What is McGuire he's doing? Wojo is hurt. Well, McGlure wouldn't let him go. That was crazy. Oh. See, he has him right here. All he has to do is relax and let him alone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and again, that goes back to somebody else making me dislike him so much. Right. Because I've actually known somebody who knew Wojo when he was still here as a Duke assistant. It was like, you know what? He's actually a pretty good dude. Chris Collins. Now, okay. Yeah. Chris Collins, to me, he's more on the Austin River scale than the J.J. Redick. I there's some about Chris Collins I don't like. Yeah. And I think it's his attitude <laughs> if I had to narrow it down to one. How about just a random doesn't really matter but honorable mention to Andre Buckner for getting up in Matt Doherty's face and Matt Doherty yeah. getting back in his face. That he quickly time. got taught a lesson. Yeah. Um, I, Remember that picture of I think it was Skate, Mark Davis holding back, yeah. trying to hold back Raymond <laughs> Felton. And it's like Mark Davis looks like he's water skiing, holding on to Raymond Felton's jersey. And like all the muscles in Raymond's back are like all constrained. He's like going at it. <laughs> ah, the early 2000s. Wish you would have let him go. I know. Um, I don't get as fired up about Greg Paulus either. I, he wasn't hateable. You just got tired of hearing that he was great when you knew he wasn't, but he didn't try to sell himself right. as great. He was a good player. He was he's fine. That was when that was when uh, I don't even want this. Uh, Dickie V would say, "Oh, it's like being a quarterback in Notre Dame. It's like being <laughs> a starting pitcher for the Yankees. <laughs> he's the Duke, Duke point guard." It's like okay, we get it. Well, and I think the thing about Paulus and especially Wojo, like my image of Wojo as a Duke player, 
You're hurting him. <laughs> is him standing out at the top of the defense, slapping oh, the floor, yeah. Oh, yeah. and then somebody going right by him? Yeah. Well, he totally bought into that part of it, right? Yes. He was immersed in it. Yeah. I think we've got – All I, good choices. I think we made the right picks. Yeah. Okay, Adam, you want to do non-Duke or you want to do one time? Because it gets a little murky in here. Yeah, these are tough. These are tough. Okay, who do you, which one you want to go to? Which uh, you, It's your turn to go first, so you can pick. All right, I'm going to go one time. Okay. Harold Arsenault. Yep. From Weber State. Mm -hmm. 36 points. Tar Heels were a three seed. The only time the Tar Heels have been bumped in the first round in my lifetime of understanding Carolina basketball, Harold Arsenault, Weber State, went insane. There was another good player on that team whose name I can't remember who had a good game, but it was, it was the Harold Arsenault game. Yeah. Everything about that game was wrong. They have that sketchy head coach. Yeah. It was played. It was the last game of the day. In Seattle. In Seattle. So yep. nobody, like, it was, unless you just loved it, you weren't following it. Yep. Everything about it was wrong. Yep. Harold Arsenault. Don't know what he's doing. Don't know what he did after that, but I know he was on fire that day. And embodies everything that I think you think about of when you're going, it's like just some rando dude who gets hot from three and absolutely burns you. And the fact that he played for Weber State. I think if he had played for Indiana, yeah. he, he wouldn't be as Harold Arsenault as he is. Yeah. Ronnie Sykley, Adam, mm. crushed the Tar Heels mm. in 87 in the round eight. Ronnie Sykley. I don't dis – it's a perfect – like I don't – I respect you, Ronnie Sykley. Good player. <laughs> Had a solid NBA career. Have no reason to dislike him other than he was just great that day in 87, and I can't stand it. And that was my favorite team. I know. 87, 14-0 in the ACC. I know, Adam. Should have won it. Kenny Smith's last game as a Tar Heel. <laughs> Adam's getting a little emotional. Ronnie Cycli on my list. Ronnie Cycli, Jim Beheim. All right, Adam. Andre Miller from Utah, mm. 1998. I don't even know I don't even know what his stats were that day. I don't even know if he had a good game. <laughs> <laughs> but Andre Miller, along with Michael mm. Doliak, who was all whack, <laughs> embodies that Utah team to me yeah. that beat at least the best Carolina team that I've ever seen that didn't win it, yep. the 98 team. Better than 2012, which is a great team, but 98. Carolina, unbelievable team, had the had it all, had the experience because they'd been the Final Four the year before. They were back. I mean, it was it was it was all there. They were the best team. Andre Miller and stupid Utah knocked him out. Andre Miller in that game, sixteen points, fourteen rebounds, seven assists. Uh, he was zero of three from three, but he's seven fifteen from the field. Leading scorer for Utah, uh, he, he was the leading scorer for Utah. He tied with Michael Doliak. All whack. Who also had 16 points, but only five rebounds for Michael Doliak. The, the starting five for Utah in that game, Andre Miller, Alex Jensen, Drew Hansen, Hanno Motola. Yeah, I remember I him. I remember him, and Michael Doliak. And then they had four guys I've never heard of coming off the bench. Chris Jenkins, Adam. Hmm. He's the perfect one-time killer list member because yeah. I hold no ill will towards Chris Jenkins. Yeah. I don't know if you know, he was he raised and, with Nate Britt. He and Nate Britt. Yeah. 
I have no negative thoughts towards Chris Jenkins. But the fact remains that Chris Jenkins hit that shot against the Tar Heels, and so he has to be on this list, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And finally, Adam, this was really cl- – this I couldn't decide on which list to put him on because in my mind he fits in both. I put Bill Curley from Boston College on this list. He was on the 94 BC team. More, and I think he was their best player in that game. Again, I don't even know his stats that day. But what has made it even worse, and again, and why I thought he could really be considered for the other list, was the Sports Illustrated cover, the Take That Tar Heels, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and the fact, I don't know if you've ever heard Bill Curley talk since then, Adam, but it's all he, he lives on that one game. He like, lives off of it. He's like the Dan Dakich. Come on now, we got another list to go, Adam. <laughs> He lives off that game. Bill Curley. What did he have that day? 18 and 9. That's a decent day. (laughs) (laughs) Jones begrudgingly (laughs) says, Bill Curley, you did fine. Uh, He was not the leading scorer. Gerard Abram had 21. Not another. I remember they had Abram and Abrams, and we'll get to Abrams here in a second. Oh, yeah. uh, Abram was 6 for 11 from 3. That sounds right. Jerk. So that's my list, Adam. Arsenault, Cycli, Andre Miller, Bill Curley, Chris Jenkins. Okay. Uh, my my one-time killer list, I've got Harold Arsenault. Well, as you can tell with mine, I leaned heavily towards NCAA tournament. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, in fact, all five of them were NCAA tournament. Harold Arsenault, 36 points against Carolina in the NCAA tournament. Most all-time tied with... One individual who was unstoppable and the greatest player I've ever seen for one night. The dude from Providence. Bryce Cotton. Bryce Cotton. The greatest player I've ever seen he was on under, that day. He was unbelievable that day. In San Antonio? Yep, that was 2014. Because then the Tar Heels lost Iowa State in the next game in the game they should have won. Yep. Remember, those were the games that were, like, reversed. They should have lost the Providence and yeah. won it and then should have beaten Iowa State and didn't. And I think, was that the first? That was the first time we got to see the Friar yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. up close. Yeah, nightmare fuel. Dude's freaky. Yeah. Uh, okay, I had Chris Jenkins. Yeah. I think you have to. Uh, another NCAA tournament. This is another case of I don't know what this guy actually did in the game, right. but something he did put him on this list, Darvin Ham. Oh, I thought you were going to go the big dude from Arkansas, Dwight Stevens, but uh, uh, or is it Stevenson, Stevens, whatever, hit the half-court yeah, shot. Yeah, in 95. Darvin Ham, great choice. Broke, great choice. Broke the backboard yeah. in an in- second-round NCAA Coliseum. tournament game. I was there. And I remember walking out of there thinking, that dude just broke the backboard on Serge Zwicker's head. You could have injured Serge Zwicker, Darvin Ham. Luckily, he had on the protective headband <laughs> so that the glass shards didn't <laughs> hit his scalp. I, I had never seen that before in person. I've never seen that since. And it, that was just – that was a moment where you just felt like, hmm, Texas Tech is better than Carolina this year because Darvin Ham just broke the backboard. Yeah. Don't don't dislike him. He didn't do anything after he broke it that made me not like him. Yeah. But I will never forget Darvin Ham. Uh, okay. Now I went off the NCAA tournament board after those three. I don't know why, but Fred Vinson comes to my mind <laughs> every time I think of this topic, and he always will. <laughs> I think we got an email or a tweet about Fred Vinson after we had mentioned him previously. Georgia Tech, right? Georgia Tech, 1994. At the Smith Center, he was 8 of 12 from 3. 
I think that was a Super Bowl Sunday game. That was when Tech uh, had Carolina's number there for a couple years. Yeah, well, and they were cycling through all their Barry brothers. Yeah. And every one of the Barry brothers would always come hit some threes. Like when Carolina was good, it was like 93, 94, 95. And for some reason, Carolina had so much trouble with them. Uh, and then this guy, to me, just embodies this time in Carolina NC State, Lakista McCuller. Mm. Uh, 1995 at Reynolds Coliseum. He only had 24, which is not a huge number to get onto this list, but he had 18 in the second half. For his career, he was a 39% shooter. He, he was Lakeisa McCuller. Right. But on this one night, he was Rodney Monroe. Yeah. And uh, Carolina was number one going into that game at Reynolds, and State was terrible. It was the Les Robinson years, and State won it 80-70 to 70 behind my boy Lakeisa McCuller. I had some honorable mentions. Uh, I don't know if you considered any of these. Davidas Dolkis. Oh, yeah. Dokies definitely needs to, for what perfect one-time killer uh, list. Thirty-two points in 2012 for Florida State down he, at the Civic Center. I don't know. He was as hot as Tyrese Rice was that time in the first half uh, at Boston College. And remember, Tyrese Rice fanned himself and he scored 46, and they lost. Tyrese Rice 46 points. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they lost. And he he was fanning himself back and down the court in the first half, and then he remembered that, that there were no other teammates on that team. Uh, a recent entry, Kerwin Roach. Yeah. He was hot. He wasn't totally, Bryce Cotton hot, but he was hot. I totally forgotten about Kerwin Roach. That was just uh, like 10 months ago. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Rice. Kerwin Roach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Malik Monk was on this list. I've got him on my list. Monk. My honorable mention list. Uh, Glenn Rice from Michigan oh, yeah, put up sweet, 34 in the 89 16. tournament. But I think the thing about him is – Carolina had beaten him the year before. Yeah. So you kind of felt like it evened out. Like he was a good player. Glenn Rice is a good player. And so the one year he didn't shoot as well. I think that game was in Charlotte at old Charlotte, I think. Um, and Carolina beat Michigan, then had to play him again weirdly the next year in the NCAA tournament, and he got 34. Yeah. And I think another thing about a lot of these guys, not 100% the case, because Andre Miller went on to have a long pro career. Ronnie Cycli had a solid pro career. Some of the guys – but most of these guys – this was like the moment. Yeah. Right? I think that gives you bonus points to get on this list. Like, if yeah. you are Lakeisa McCuller right. or Harold Arsenault, yeah. that's your thing. Uh, the other guy shot it from the logo and made it. Oh, Tayshaun Prince. Prince. Wow. That was an ugly game. It, it really was. <laughs> and that, that whole game kind of embodied that time. Yeah. And I just remember Tayshaun Prince crossing half court. The big UKs in the middle. Fires it up. Boom. Swish. O two was that O one O two? It wasn't good. Yeah, it's what it was. It was not good. I think it was O two. I said that uh, when Carolina played a season, we will all forget. <laughs> I said that when Carolina played this team of one-time killers, the game would be announced by Lynn Elmore. <laughs> the old fish sticks, huh? Yeah. Celebrate all you want, but you've been in a dog fight. <laughs> was it John Henson he got so John, mad at? It was John Henson. <laughs> Celebrate all you want, Henson. You know you've been in a dog fight. Well, he got so mad. Mike, I think they're chanting fish sticks here in the Smith Center. <laughs> <laughs> when they were saying biscuits. And he thought they said fish sticks. I think Mike Pat would Mike Patrick be the uh, play-by-play. He'd be guy? the play-by-play guy, I think. Although he did have the great look at that on the Jordan. Dunk. Look at that. <laughs> okay, Adam. Uh, so now we're on the. Or unless you have any more honorable mentions. No. All right. So now we've got the non-Duke 
villain list, but not the one time list. This is different. Right. There's something about these guys that when you think of them, you think, I don't like that guy. Yeah, that's exactly right. This is my villain team. Sam Cassell, Florida State. Oh, wine and cheese. Wine and cheese. He was talking smack. That's a really good choice. He was talking trash for those those newfangled Seminoles. Yep. And they needed to be put in their place. And luckily, they were. Yeah. But the thing you got to remember about Sam Cassell is that team was good. They were good. They had some good players. Charlie Ward, Rodney Dobard went on to an illustrious career, but I thought he was good in college. Doug Edwards. Doug Edwards. Sometimes Douglas, I think. Yeah. They were good. Uh, Pat Kennedy was their coach. There's another gentleman who may or may not be on my list. Bobby Sura. (laughs) Uh, We mentioned this gentleman earlier, Danya Abrams, Boston College, 1994, fouled Derek Phelps. Maliciously from behind, knocked Phelps out the rest of the game and aided greatly in Boston College winning that game. Derek Phelps was essential to that team. Yes. Which was a very good team. Very good team. Now, Big Grits has told us Donya Abrams may possibly not be a terrible person. I choose to not believe that. Sorry, Big Grits. <laughs> My one television viewing 25 years ago <laughs> trumps Big Grits' personal interaction with this human. Landover? Yeah, at the Cap Center. Yep. Uh, this guy might not know him if he walked into Mobile Pod World Headquarters, but I know his reputation. Bill Harder mm. from Clemson. It was Bill Harder who basically started that whole Dean Smith, Rick Barnes thing. Bill Harder, any Turbay. But it, but Bill Harder was the one who played. Bill Harder had that no way. had no business playing basketball in the ACC. No, and and they just turned him loose to just yeah. basically do whatever he could. Right. To be annoying. It would be like if this was a Wake Forest podcast. <laughs> 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 we would talk about that. I don't even know who it was. Remember when Duke put in that walk-on against, uh, yeah. like started a walk-on, and his yeah. whole purpose was just to make Chris Paul mad in that yeah. game, yeah. and it worked Yeah, because Chris Paul is such a hothead. Yeah. Underrated hothead of all time, by the way. Was that guy's last name Johnson? I have no clue. I just remember it happened. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm taking one that's a little off the board here. Nick Van Exel. Oh, he got his comeuppance. Yeah, he did. Because all, all, it was like the arc of that story was in one afternoon. Yeah, his whole villainry played out one day at the Meadowlands. Uh, Nick Van Exel. First of all, he was hot in the regional final in '93. He made six threes in the first 15 minutes. Cincinnati was up 33 to 20, and he personally had outscored Carolina 21 to 20. At that point in time, Dean Smith said, "Hmm." I'm going to put Derek Phelps on you, Nick Van Exel. And he got one basket over the final 30 minutes of the game, which includes overtime. We talked to Derek Phelps about that when he was on the pod like two years ago. But what puts Nick Van Exel on the list Mm -hmm. other than that is that at the media availability the day before that game, Nick Van Exel had said, I think Dean Smith is a good coach with great players. With all the talent he's had, who wouldn't have won all those games? To be honest, I think he should have won a few more championships. I don't really consider him a great coach. Oh, Nick Van Exel. Those are not wise words, sir. Here's some Derek Phelps for you, (laughs) Nick. Uh, And so then my last one, I got to be honest, we see this guy regularly, and I have a hard time really hating him, but for one thing he did, Randolph Childress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole get up to McGinnis. The whole get up to McGinnis. That's what it was. Otherwise, he might be a one-time killer. Yeah. 
But because he gave the, he gave Jeff McInnes the get up motion after he he broke his ankles. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of the 1995 ACC tournament in which Randolph Childress scored 37 points. Lifetime moment for Wake Forest fans. Oh, yes. That, that's like their 1957 NCAA championship. Remember <laughs> when we beat the Tar Heels in the <laughs> ACC for, tournament? For the ACC tournament. In Charlotte. And remember we had Randolph Childress and he scored 37 and he told that guy to get up. Still to this day, and I know Zion Williamson was incredible this past ACC tournament. Uh, I think that's still the best individual performance I've seen from a player in a tournament that weekend for Randolph Childress. He was really good. He was unstoppable. You, what you don't remember is he had some games against Carolina where he was not as good right. because that one has eclipsed everything else. Sure. I had some others, but I'm, let's hear your list and then we'll see. Okay. I didn't have this guy on there originally, but then when you said Sam Cassell, it was such a good answer. I put Bobby Sura on mine mm. because Sura, to me, embodied that Florida State team more yeah. than Cassell. I know Cassell had the wine and cheese comment, but Sura was the one who, when I think of that Florida State group, and if you don't remember that or you weren't around or you're too young to remember, Florida State came in and they were like these. Oh, it was like this rough and tumble, like ah, we're gonna show these ACC guys what's up. And then they went and kicked the mess out of Carolina in the first time, their first ACC game at the Smith Center. And they told everybody about it. And they were really good. Charlie Ward and all the guys that Adam mentioned earlier. To me, Bobby Sura embodies that group. Like he was, he was a really good player, but a little too flashy for yeah. his own good. He had a little sneer. Yeah, it was just that was that Florida State time period yeah. for them. Adam, I also had Danya Abrams. Mm -hmm. I am stunned you didn't have Ethan Rocky on this list. Well, I'll get to that. I think Ethan Rocky has to be, or Grant Gibbs. You can just put Creighton on this list. I, I think, and Gibbs maybe is even worse because he did the whole wink thing. I don't know, but Rocky is the John Tudor of the – 2000s because of the injury that he caused to Kendall Marshall, which essentially cost Carolina a chance at the national championship. Yes. <laughs> I covered them in a different way. Oh, okay. I've got Dan Dockich on here. Yeah. I guess he could have been a one-time killer, but I think that time has actually made his performance seem more important than it really was. I yes. think he was one of the players on that Indiana team that beat Carolina in 84, which is widely considered the best Carolina team not to win it. And there's others in that conversation, some which we've talked about, 87, 98, 2012. But that 84 team was a stupid good team. And that – game that they lost to Indiana, Dan Dockich has somehow over time been given credit for like stopping Michael Jordan in the game, even though Jordan finished with 20 some odd points or something. But again, it goes back to what I was talking about, about Bill Curley. Dan Dockich has made his career off this game. And that, that gets him on this list for me. And he talks about it all the time. Yes. And then Adam, my last one, I just said his name. I'm going to John Tudor from LSU. Yep. Injured Kenny Smith, yep. break away like layup or dunk, fouled him from behind. Kenny Smith broke his wrist through that season. It was the same season, right, 84? Yeah. Through that season, totally out of whack for the Tar Heels. They ended up losing a game when he 
first came back or when he was out uh, to Arkansas. That was their first loss. And then the the chemistry never was quite the same again after Kenny Smith returned and just part of the story of that season. And again, that I'm a little too young to remember it happening, but I've heard enough of the stories and know enough of the vitriol to to have him on this list. Yeah. I mean, that 84 team, that was the best team to not win a title, and they did not win it because Kenny Smith went out. Yeah. And then they just – and Dean Smith said later he felt like maybe he tried to bring back Kenny Smith a little too soon, and so things just didn't quite mix. Steve Hale played point guard in his absence, and – they were fine, which you're going to be fine if you got me playing point guard because Michael Jordan's on the wing and Sam Perkins is under the basket and Brad Darty is on the other side of the basket. Yeah. So you're in pretty good shape. And you got potty winner Matt Doherty uh, playing, doing all the little things yeah. for you. Glue guy. So uh, John Tudor's a good call. Um, you, did you have any not-quites? Not really. I had uh, one, another historical one that I threw on there, at least in consideration, was John Roach, yep. the old player from South Carolina. Yeah, That's one that if you were a Tar Heel fan in that time period, which was like early 70s, I think that maybe is one of your first names out of your mouth. That was just before my time, so I don't know. But I know that he is one that a lot of Carolina fans would consider for this list. I put him on this team as the emeritus. <laughs> because I didn't see him, but right. I know that people who did get really fired yeah, up. Yeah, really disliked him. Um, not quite. I had Julius Hodge. Yeah, he did get dunked on by Jackie Manuel, though. They kind of erased all of it. Yeah, I think that really eclipsed almost everything else he did. And Julius Hodge came around at a very fortunate time for him in the Tar basketball landscape where he was able to have some more success than most NC State players. And I think his ending record against Tar Heels is right around 500, but that's better than most state guys have been. And so, and he was an excellent player. But And if you don't remember, there was a whole bunch of backstory there about who Carolina had recruited at that position, Jackie Manuel versus Julius Hodge and all these things that had happened. And uh, we know what a great individual Jackie is. We've had him on the pod, and I'm not saying Julius Hodge isn't because I don't know him. Um, but uh, that was... That was a sweet moment for Tariels when Jackie Manuel dunked on Julius Hodge a couple years later. 04, I believe. Coach Williams' first year. Um, I had Tom Sheehy from Virginia. Mm. Just your prototypical hatchet guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Only he's like a hockey goon. Yeah. Uh, put You're him, only out there for one reason. Yeah. Go, Bill Harder. Go be annoying. Yeah. yeah, he's like the big guy version of Bill Harder. Um, I had Bill Curley on my almost list, but he's already been mentioned and he's earned his praise. Yeah. But then uh, I think when, when that team runs out of the tunnel, they're going to be led by the mascot, the Creighton Blue Jay. <laughs> He's the mascot of the non-Duke villain team. Yeah. Because I couldn't decide. Like you said, I couldn't put two Creighton players on there, and yeah. I thought, hmm, how am I going to solve this? <laughs> and I thought, wait, I know someone even more devilish than Ethan Rogge or Grant Gibbs. That Creighton Blue Jay, he's my mascot. I think, and we've talked about this before, you could convince me to dislike Gibbs more than Rocky. You could. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think Rocky was involved in that one play where I don't – similar to Gerald Henderson, I don't think he was 100% trying to do what he did. I do think there was something in his mind, though, that was making him do what he did. But he's never been – I mean, he's always seemed kind of apologetic about it. And Gibbs, though, it seems much more calculated for, with him. Creighton had clearly talked about, we're going to play this physically. Yeah, rough, rough, try to rough him up. And Ethan Rogge was doing what was in the scouting report. Right. Grant Gibbs was reveling in what was in the scouting report. Yeah. 
Yeah, you could convince me on that. Creighton Blue Jay. I'm sure there's some we left off. Let us know if there are. That was fun. Well, not fun. It was cathartic. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was like, it was kind of oddly fun in that it's over, and I know the Tar Heels ended up better than most of those folks. <laughs> <laughs> you got yours. Lakeista McCuller. <laughs> okay, we're going to get out of here. Um, whoa, Adam. Next show. We have terrific guest. We're going to talk a little hoops with our guests next uh, next episode. And it's been a while, Adam. We're going through the Roadhouse Challenge. I'm excited for that. So that's coming up next show. But for now, we're going to let Chad Holbrook and the RZA get us out of here on the latest edition of the Carolina Insider. I'm Chad Holbrook. See you later, Big Grits. When I was small. Nothing at all We used to eat grits For dinner Pound box of sugar and a stick of margin A hot pot of grits kept my family from starving Steamy hot meal served less than five minutes Big silver pot boiling water salt in it House full of brothers and sisters, the pot's missing. Pilgrim on the box on the stove in the kitchen. When I was small, we had nothing at all. We used to eat grits for The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Tar Heel Sports Network.